It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! Yeah, baby. This week, starring special guest again, Mr. Steve Barton. Yeah! Woohoo! I don't know why I go woohoo. <laughs> it's not like they need to get psyched up for it or anything because they already are hi steve hi <laughs> welcome back for the third time in like three months well fortunately i never leave so <laughs> that's right we I'm, keep them I'm locked here. in a closet i will try to remember to look at the camera it's over there um there's a very specific reason that steve is back and that is i don't know uh, maybe a month ago on a saturday i was sitting on my bed which i do a lot on saturdays with my laptop and uh I was stumbling around and probably watched a previous episode of, of Steve and I doing a taxi TV and I thought, you know, I want to go hear more of his stuff. And I went to SoundCloud and was listening to some of his dramedy stuff and I remember, I literally said out loud to myself, this is probably too good for reality television. <laughs> it, it was one of the finest examples of dramedy music. Uh, many of his cues were the finest examples that I'd ever heard. They. I mean, the reason I made that little mental note about they're probably too good is oftentimes uh, the editors aren't going, wow, that extra little thing in there really makes it. They may not even be musical enough to know what that extra thing is, but that extra thing might be the difference between using that cue and using another cue. So, I mean, frankly, at the risk of somebody going, oh, I don't agree with you. Um, sorry, I'm going to close some windows while I'm hanging out with you here. Um, in my opinion, it's probably the best dramedy up there with two or three other people's dramedy that I'm aware of. And it's just great examples, but there's a ton of it. And it is a frequently requested um, genre. So we're going to spend a lot of time today playing music and probably talking over it to some extent to say, here comes a section, did you notice that? So that we don't spend a lot of time talking about dramedy and get involved in a conversation in between. My goal is to just play you a lot so that it seeps in by osmosis. I'm going to now quickly say hello to our lovely friends in the chat room. We've got Wendelin Landers, Jesse J. Peck, Am Cool, Lou Lewis, Bob Gunnerfeld, Kyle Sutton, Dean Kotaska, Kotaska, Square Business Entertainment, uh, Martin Fraud, Bernie Sims, Martin Mitchelson or Michelson, Russell Landwehr, Ann House, Glenn Lest, Peter Rahill, Alan Gilbert, Darren Farber, Fletcher, sorry. Anyway, hello everybody. Nice to have you with all us. All the good people are here today. They are. Well, all the really good people are sitting right next to me, dude. Um, and I'm gonna do his bio just so you know who he is and, and more about him. And then we're gonna quickly go through some things to, that define dramedy and what characterizes it. But we're gonna be pretty brief in doing that because we wanna get right to the, the good stuff. And Bria is still out of town. I've got Ariana working with me today. I don't know if Bria has kicked her or, or told her how to kick me under the table. So I'm gonna tell you, subscribe to our channel. You know, the little red thing down there in the corner right about there click on that um, also click that alert thing up in the upper right hand corner so you get alerts when we go live make sure you like us and you know what I'm not even gonna put the fourth one up today 
I am, I've got a little show and tell that has nothing to do with today's show, so I will make this brief, but um, recently uh, my old business partner from Florida passed away a year and a half ago. His wife found a bunch of my stuff stashed away in his house and sent me a couple of big boxes of my old vinyl from the early to mid 70s, bunch of records that I worked on, um, first you know, pressings of classic records that were in there. But the most important thing is, I bet that most of you have never seen where records come from. This... The record store? <laughs> the record store, very good. This is a lacquer. Hear how that sounds? That's because it's an aluminum disc that is dipped over and over again in lacquer, and then, oh look, there's a reflection of our computer screen. Um, and this is what they put on a lathe. Most of the lathes were made by Scully or Neumann back then, and it looks like a giant industrial strength turntable. It's got a, what's called a cutting head, which has a diamond in it, and it heats up and it gets electrical impulses that make it vibrate and cuts the grooves into the lacquer. And then once the, and they look at it with a microscope to make sure that the grooves are good. They do an A side and a B side for a big record. Um, like I spent the weekend listening over and over and over to a million things on Fleetwood Mac rumors. I think they cut 135 sets of lacquers. Then once they make the lacquers, they plate them in silver. And from those silver plates, they make what are called stampers. This stuff apparently was a Christmas record. It says something like uh, Christmas on it, which apparently I worked on this because it was in my pile of stuff. And they take these stampers and then they put a thing that's like a hockey puck sized piece of vinyl in between them, which is heated up and go and I'm sure it sounds exactly like that. <laughs> and that's how records are made. You know, I mean, come on, this is a classy show. We have to have sound effects, right? When we do show and tell. So anyway, there you go. I wanted to share that with you because this stuff actually smells like mildew. And I'm going to put it in a plastic bag and stick it on a shelf with all my other old mildewy stuff. But I wanted to show this to you guys before um, it goes in the bag, probably never seen again until I croak someday and my family go, what's this crap? And throw it out. This did sound like a birds and bees talk. It's, this, son, this is how <laughs> records are made. <laughs> That's right. You put a piece of vinyl in there and squish it together. <laughs> Woohoo! Anyway, okay. Now on to the real stuff, which is dramedy. So um, do you want to say what dramedy is or should I read what you wrote? How do you want to do this? Because... Yeah. You can read it. I, I, I don't mind. Yeah, I okay. kind of wrote it for you. It's... Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Less work for me, which is the most important aspect of the show. So what is dramedy? Well, oh, sorry. Before that, let's talk about Steve. Steve's a production music composer for film and television, okay? And his music can be heard on television somewhere in the world on a daily basis. That means like every friggin' day of the year. His music is aired on ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, ABC, Family, A&E, American Heroes Channel, Animal Planet, Biography, Bravo, The Cooking Channel, Discovery, E, Food Network, Game Show, HETV, Investigation, Discovery, Lifetime, MTV, National Geographic Channel, Oprah Winfrey Network, Outdoor Channel, Oxygen, PBS, Science Channel, Style Channel, Sci-Fi Channel, TLC, Travel Channel, True TV, Univision, and VH1. I'll bet you there are a lot more that it's appeared on since that list was put together. He's also the author of this incredibly excellent book, which I proudly 
endorse and recommend to all taxi members and my friends because it's written to be understood. It's incredibly comprehensive and I've never heard anybody say anything but glowing remarks about it. So if you don't own this book, buy this book or you'll have me to answer to, okay? <laughs> Got it? Cool. Um, so all that said, what is dramedy? Well, it combines comedy with drama, duh. Uh, it appeared in television as early as the late 1960s, but became a genre in the early 80s. The term dramedy was coined at that time. Um, actor Paul Tompkins tweeted recently, I think the thing I hate most about reality shows is all that goddamn pizzicato music. Uh, so what care, oh, but I don't know if you've got this in here or not, but I will tell you that I personally believe the dramedy was popularized by, uh, what was the show with the ladies? The well, the Desperate Housewives? Desperate Housewives. You yeah, know? I, do, I do mention that a little bit. Oh, know. okay. Yeah. Uh, there we go. St uh, Desperate Housewives composer Steve Jablonski. Um, it really got popular because that show just took off um, and, and there was so much dramedy in that show. It was actually kind of a classier use of dramedy than some of the reality shows. Well, you know, when, when going through uh, putting this um, episode together, I actually went back and looked at some episodes and, and listened to a lot of the music. And, and actually very little of it was the pizzicato stuff. It was yeah. really done in a, in a formal orchestral dramatic scoring way. Right, but the the funny parts, the humorous sections, really captures this genre that we're talking about today. The the, the, the sneaking around the bushes, looking through the windows, exactly. Always yeah, had dramedy so primarily this genre is used for the more comical stuff, mm -hmm. but there are other uses for it, which you know we'll we'll talk about as okay. we go through this. Yeah, because you've got he actually went to the trouble of categorizing his different types of dramedy for different types of uses. Um, uh, primarily uses pizzicato strings with short notes um, with instruments such as marimba and xylophone are also commonly used. Vibraphone and glockenspiel are also used to highlight melodic elements. Woodwinds such as clarinet bassoon, also uh, typical melodic instruments that heard in dramedy. Low woodwinds such as contrabassoon and bass clarinet add, a mischievous, add some mischievous support. Percussion instruments from shakers to bongos keep the music moving. Hip-hop drum beats are now being seen to evolve into the style of urban dramedy, of which our, our mutual friend Matt Vanderbo, who is my guest next week, uh, he might be the king of urban dramedy. I know that he, um, a lot of people look to him for advice on urban dramedy. Um, uh, the aforementioned Steve Jablonski, who's a major power hitter composer in Hollywood, um, most common example of dramedy music usage, uh, considered ground zero for this trend starting with Desperate Housewives. Um, for an example of what pizzicato strings can really do, see Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony, Third Movement, Scherzo, is that how you pronounce it? Scherzo. Scherzo, I knew that. I was just playing dumb. Just testing me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So anyway, um, why don't you set up the, the first batch and then let's play some stuff. Yeah. So um, basically what I, wanted, what I wanted to do was kind of break down different ways to use dramedy music. And as we just pointed out, the primary instrument that defines pizzicato, uh, that defines dramedy are pizzicato mm -hmm. strings, and that is plucking the strings rather than bowing it. Um, other short note instruments, uh, such as marimba, mallet instruments, marimba vibe, xylophone, and even short bowed strings like um, staccato or spiccato 
style where you're it's very short mm-hmm. um, any of those usages are work well for for dramedy I suppose you could use piano as well but that hasn't really we haven't seen a lot of that for for pizzicato or uh, for dramedy style yeah it's it's almost like the the complement of instruments has become part of the identity of pizzicato. But you're right; you you could take almost any instrument. I mean, uh, yeah, you, any instrument that could be played in a pizzicato fashion mm-hmm. that has a percussive aspect to it could be used in dramedy. Right. So what I'm saying with th- this group of instruments and what I call a color palette that you could really write in almost any musical style. But using this color palette, it becomes dramedy. Mm-hmm. And so it depends on whether you're using it for this sneaking around kind of, of comedic, comedic mischievous stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I'll, I'll use an, play an example where I, I have some kind of really sweet uh, melodies and, and things that, you know, do get use. So, um, like when I, I, I did a lot of writing for the, for the little couple. Right. And... I was able to to give them music in in a lot of different styles, even like kind of a jazz style and um, things that, as long as you adhere to this color palette, you can get away with almost anything. Makes sense. Yeah, you're working with a range of emotions within the the color palette. Yeah. All right. So let's play some. Stuff. Yeah. Let's let's so let's get down to it. Um, the the first piece is called Laundry Day. So these. This is a, a, a grouping of tracks that are under the sneaky, suspenseful, tension uh, style cues. So mostly pit strings in the beginning. to give it some life. This is the B section. The B section. And we're back to A. A. Notice a lot of spacing. Works great for dialogue. Editors must love this piece. Yeah. going to do applause and everything because everybody will hate it but um great example okay so yeah a lot of short pitch lines with a lot of spacing a lot of room for for breath for dialogue um you know we just started it was primarily pizzicato strings and we added some clarinet it was call and response Mm -hmm. basically um the next piece uh selfie trouble uh, sing, a single note pitch line with uh, we're going to add marimba the second time through and then the B section gets a little bit jazzier and too much reverb on the pit strings here
comical. Yeah, movement. comedy movement. Yeah. So the first part is is a lot of setup. second A section, even though we had pizzicato strings doing the same thing we had before, there was uh, arco strings mm -hmm. setting up a pad in the background. So yeah. if they wanted a little different vibe, the editor, by the way, just so you guys know, if, if you're kind of new to instrumental cues and reality TV, it would be extremely rare, if ever, that they use an entire cue. But people like Steve will set it up so that the cue can be used. You could use the A section, you could use the B section, you could use um, the, the second A section on its own. So you probably consciously made the, sec the second A section a little more robust. If they liked what was going on in the first A section, but they wanted a little more oomph to it, they would know to look at the uh, at the waveform and go, oh, I can see the waveform looks a little beefier on the right-hand side of the B section and go there and go, yep, that's what I was looking for and just use that. Absolutely, and and giving them edit points the ability to to make these changes as, as they want. I've got some other cues later on that that have is, is kind of a slow section for the A, then it goes into a really fast section in the B. Mm -hmm. Not not really the, the best uh, design for a, a instrumental cue. Um, most more often than not, they're only going to use one section or the other. Right. Rarely do they use both. But I'm giving I give them options. So that's a great word, actually. Um, many, if not all, instrumental cues should be designed to give the video editors who do most of the laying in of music almost entirely um, options. Because, like I said, rarely are they ever going to use the entire cue. Why? Because scenes don't last that song. And editors have things called beats, which is like you're on a topic within a scene, and that beat um, might require a certain kind of cue. And then they go to look at the other person, excuse me, in the conversation in the kitchen, ostensibly. And that beat, so one person is trying to explain their way out of something, somebody else has a suspicious face. They're going to use different music for those different reactions. Right. And, and guys like Steve want to give them the options. Yeah. So uh, here's another one. This piece is called Chasing Rabbits. Which is, by the way, titles are important. You can just picture Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Way too good for reality TV. <laughs> nice. 
Jesse J. Peck said, sounds like the first two years of marriage. I don't know if he's talking about the Q or something somebody said in front of him. But I think the Q sounded like the last two years of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaking around waiting to get shot. <laughs> Just right. saying. That's the cartoon version of a marriage. Right no there. comment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, keys are important. Uh, oh. How um, do you determine what's your most frequently used key? Well, not in terms of um, the pitch, but in terms of ma let's say major, major minor. and minor. So, what do they? Uh, what does major connotate? What does minor connotate? Well, major it can be happier or goofy, whereas minor keys are more typically typically going to be used in in things that are um, suspense oriented mm -hmm. more adds more tension um, uh, you know the sneaky yeah. vibe um, this one is is a minor key uh, vibe now this one the vibraphone has the melody and a bass clarinet plays the counter melody and what's the title of this uh, one suspicious behavior okay we have a theme going <laughs> Just backbeat on the pizzicato. Gotta say, this one stands out from other uh, dramedy pieces yeah. in that you use that approach. Here we went into a major key, and then we'll come back out. This is feature film quality. Your orchestrations are awesome. Thank you. How many real instruments are used? Um, virtually none. Virtually, virtually none. <laughs> um, I, I had a batch of these that I had intended to hire a, a real clarinetist and bassoonist to re-record some of these parts. Uh, I just never got around to doing it because that means I have to go out and actually write the part out for the musician. You know, just do you, I mean? Okay, I can understand you wanting to go to that extreme if you were pitching this stuff for a catalog that worked with feature film. But let's face it, most dramedy ends up in reality shows and there's not an editor on the planet Earth that's ever gonna go, I'm gonna use that cue because he's got a real bassoonist mm -hmm. in there. So personally, I'm glad he didn't do it, although I'd love to hear it. It, you know, it just depends on the quality of your sample. Some of my earlier dramedy stuff, uh, some of my clarinet work was just- It blows. It was subpar, you know. <laughs> It blows. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lisa. He laughed mercifully at my joke. Okay, uh, let's just let's keep going. Tension okay. in Paradise is the next one. So very TikTok-y. But, 
being less than obvious by not using a yeah the keys are doing or the, exactly. the, the vibes yeah we get the, between the vibes and the pitch bass but it's giving the same effect as a clock you know passage of time yeah and then this descending line da 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 adds tension something's developing I bring I'll bring percussion in and out so I'll bring in drums or bong you know this is a snare drum uh, I think brushes just to add a little bit more movement to it now it gets a little heavier a little more serious wants to know if dramedy always has orchestral strings as opposed to non-orchestral strings no um, <laughs> I don't know what do you mean um, uh, can you do a dramedy could you do a dramedy cue with just mallet instruments and a clarinet or an oboe absolutely but, yeah um, you could do the pits on something else like we talked about earlier it could be a mute you know like a semi-muted guitar it, mm -hmm. it could be a lot of things so yeah and yeah. if you remember when we did that uh session at my house we did the the swamp cues that's right i i was attempting to do Pitsy, uh, the pits on, on, on acoustic guitar yeah and it didn't quite work but i think if i had spent some more time on it i could have yeah. worked something out but yeah anytime you if you're using those short duration instruments like uh, any mallet instrument or even guitar or piano you you could essentially do dramedy it's it, you know it's a combination of the attack, the percussive attack, with some melodic thing attached to it. It's mm -hmm. not just percussion. It's not just melody. It's melodic percussion mm -hmm. that lends itself well to that. Yeah, but we're not trendsetters, so mm -hmm. I think we also need to bear in mind that what is the common usage in dramedy sound and not try to give them something that's so out there. Um, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a risk. I call that the 15% rule. You can go 15% left of right of what center obviously is and probably get away with that. Maybe even raise an eyebrow where they go, hmm, that's interesting. But if you go 50% outside the norm, mm -hmm. they're going to go, that's kind of cool, but I can't use it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let me talk a moment about pizzicato string sample libraries. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned in a queue a few cues ago. It, it began, and there was way too much reverb on it. Mm -hmm. And and I, I've learned that one when, when you finally hear it on television, it's always mixed way in the background. When you have that much reverb on it, it just sounds totally washed out. Mm. It's just not a good sound. So I would tend to go with a, a, a drier sound with, with pit strings. Somebody asked in the chat, um, what's the length of the decay you would recommend on, on reverb for um, pitsy strings? Um, I. I would try to keep it under half a second. I would agree. Yeah. I was going to say half a second-ish. Yeah. Thinking half to three quarters, but... Um, you want I, to hear some room sound. Right. But... Um, and know. it also depends on the saturation level, how much of the direct versus the reverb you're hearing, so that'll dictate 
how long the decay should be. Yeah. And even the octave. If you were doing like low pitch stuff um, and you had a long decay and it was kind of rich reverb, it's going to make it really swimmy. Um, short yeah. stuff, it could get slappy sounding if the, you want to. Well, and the higher the pitch, especially on violins, the higher the, the pitch of the note, the less of a decay it has. Mm. The lower the note, and especially as you get down to like cello and bass, it'll ring out for a long time. Right. But the higher ones just go pluck, and that's it. Um, I mentioned Tchaikovsky's um, symphony. You know, he's a taxi member. Okay, Peter? Yeah. Peter? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> totally messed with your head there, yeah. Really? Okay. I thought I met him at a rally. Um, he's teaching a class. <laughs> sorry. Li so listening to that movement, the scherzo movement, there are some woodwinds and brass in, it in, in, in the B section, but it's primarily a pizzicato orchestra. And you can really hear what it sounds like with real pizzicato strings. Mm. And what you'll hear in the difference between in a live performance with real instruments versus sample libraries is that not everybody plays at the exact same moment. Okay, so most sample libraries, boom, they're all playing at the same time. So that's why uh, most sample libraries, even though the, the instrument itself sounds fantastic, in a performance, it sounds unreal mm -hmm. because it's not really a human performing it. So there are a couple solutions for that. One, I found um, Symphobia pizzicato strings. They have a round robin where every third or fourth note or something is sloppy and it's a little out of sync. The other one, other way to do it is, is to layer other uh, libraries. string libraries together. Because they'll have different attacks and, have, it, and it sounds more human. Yeah, and try to layer them, you know, move them in and out so it sounds more human. But if you're just playing a, a single one and it goes da 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 it, it's going to sound like a robot. Okay. Yeah. No robots. Make note. So. Um, let's do one more of these and then move on mm -hmm. to other categories because we've got we have like less than an hour. Okay. We've got a lot of territory to cover. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know. Let's just play this one. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. So it's a syncopated groove on the on the pitch strings with some jazz harmonies An, an alto flute mixed with um, uh, arco strings. That was Jack Lemmon going to Europe. Yeah, so it, it was a very uh, jazz-based uh, piece. Was Ho am I thinking of the right composer, Hoagy Carmichael? Um, 
never mind. I, I just remember going through a Hoagie Carmichael phase about 10 years ago here where I thought that everything, his style should be emulated by people writing for libraries. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know why that is now, but somehow that reminded me of something <laughs> his that I heard way back when. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to just mix it up and kind of do different styles, and, you know, not everything's going to work, and and everything that I, I do is is not the only way to do it. Right. You know, it's really, it's like whatever you write, just use these elements of pizzicato strings and marimba and so forth, and it it is dramedy, but you know you'll bring to it to the table, you know w what is you. They should also concentrate on what type of scene would this work for, because just because you proficiently play or compose and play a dramedy piece, if it doesn't tell a story or mm -hmm. if it can't work with several stories, it may not be usable. Mm -hmm. Could be expertly composed. Every one of the <coughs> every one of the pieces you played, excuse me. Um, you could imagine what the storyline would be. I, I try to visualize some scene when I'm writing something. I mean, nothing really specific, but just a general idea of what maybe two people are doing, you mm -hmm. know, whether they're having fun or they're arguing or, you know. Right, sneaking around. Sneaking around. That piece um, was a little bit more serious yeah. than some of the other ones. That was, was more cinematic than... Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Definitely cinematic. In my um, the, let's move on to the next section, which is what I'm calling mallet-driven. So it's more of like marimba and vibes and xylophone playing the, the rhythms as opposed to the pizzicato strings. There'll still be pizzicato strings in there, but it's more emphasis on the mallets. Okay. All right, this one's called decision-making. Kind of more of that TikTok-y sound, mm -hmm. tension. And it's a pizzicato chord, it's not just a note, right? Yeah. Now here's a choir in this section, just for color. One low note to give it some oomph. So this has got more of a backbeat going. Same progression as the eight, first A, but just a little heavier backbeat. Good title. So the marimba is the primary harmonic instrument and the pizzicato is, is more of the melody. 
which is like 180 degrees out of what the norm would be, right? A fresh look. Okay, and I'll, I'll jump to the next one. had a xylophone for the melody. You know, almost any instrument could be the melody for this, but I, I chose xylophone. That was his fate, a live fate. Live fate. For the sake of time. And one last one for the mallet driven. and start a piece there. Yeah, start something else. Yeah. And through all, throughout all, a lot of these, you'll probably, probably hear um, various percussion instruments just coming in, just a little blip there, castanets there, woodblock there, just to add some some emphasis on, on different sections. Uh, I was telling Steve right before we started the show because we've got Fleetwood Mac's uh, co-producer coming to the Road Rally, Ken Calais, and we're doing... Uh, kind of a play-by-play dissection of some of the biggest hits from the Rumors album and some from Tusk. So I spent the weekend reading his book and listening to the songs as he was describing stuff in the book. And I noticed Lindsey Buckingham, one of the things he did, something he brought to that band and really to some extent pioneered was introducing things just for a moment. Um, most records were made where, you know, if a part came in the first chorus, it typically came in the second chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, things were, were very linear, and I would say that maybe the Bee Gees, um, the Bee Gees, the Eagles, and Fleetwood Mac and Steely Dan were the bands that really started pioneering. Just bring something in for a moment, and it didn't sound like 
oh, what's that? It sounded completely appropriate, appropriate elevated the whole thing just a couple of a percent. Mm -hmm. But you, if done really, really well, it made something classier and better than the other stuff like it. And, and I think that that's what you're doing Well, it, it takes a lot of restraint to mm -hmm. not want to repeat yourself. Right. And I mean, I probably repeat myself more than I, I should. Your wife probably thinks so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's move on to the the next section is short bowed instruments. So rather or, than or as you have on here, shout bowed, typo, uh, <laughs> shout bowed. I was looking back. Going, okay, that's got to be a typo because shout. Been, yeah, I've been in the industry for a long time. I've never heard that phrase, shout bowed. Yes, I, I'm inventing a new uh, articulation. There you go, shout bowed. Um, so in place of primarily pizzicato strings, it would be short bowed strings, which are spiccato or staccato, depending on the length of the note. Which one's longer? Spiccato. Uh, staccato. is longer. Okay, I didn't yeah. know there was something shorter than staccato. Yeah, because a, a staccato is, is really kind of just a stop on the, the bow stroke. Yeah. Spiccato is really bouncing the bow. Okay. On Off the string. Did that help? Yeah. Very good. That that absolutely was bow, bow bouncing, bow bouncing, shout bouncing. That would be a good character name. <laughs> okay, here we go. people asking the chat if you're going to do a class on this at the rally. Um, the answer is yes, he will do some sort of class at the rally and we'll probably have him do one-to-one -one mentoring at the rally. I'll definitely be doing the one-to-one -one mentoring. Um, and if we've had three people in last week that can't make the rally that have done classes in the past. So we've already filled one or two of those and we'll probably have an opening if you want to do one. Mm -hmm. um, you're getting a class here, but sure. Right, yeah. <laughs> Just watch <laughs> this video over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we are kind of, you know, zipping through these things, and because it's stream on demand, you guys can just go back and watch it over and over. Yeah, which the class would be 90 minutes, and once and it's done. over, yeah. yeah. And done, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so in the similar vein, uh, syncopated spiccato string rhythm with English horn playing the counter melody, and the B section breaks down with a marimba and choir solo, so get ready. <laughs> Thank you. 
it says, we're off to go do something. Uh-huh. It tells a story. I love it. a total departure this B section and I don't know if I would have written it like this today because it's so different from the A section if this were like uh, one of those family movies where everybody's piling in the car to go away for the summer the first part is loading the car this is the kids in the car the dog hanging its head out the window with the airs blowing same theme but a different emotion but is it more of a scored kind of sound where, how do you place these sections? So, this may not be the best example of a, a, a good instrumental cue, other than if I were to take the first part and the second part and make it two different cues. Right. So, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we try to do do clever things, and, and honestly, I think if I were... To, to go back and I would separate it into two separate cues because honestly I, I don't know if an editor would would combine both sections unless they had that exact scene that right did it yeah um, and then one last one here uh, this is in a minor key and this is it has kind of a Russian umpa marching sound which it's, one are you on man of the house sucker punch oh, so, I'm sorry I'm on the wrong list sucker punch okay. uh, it's got a strings clarinet and xylophone share the melody and then there's a choir and it has a very Danny Elfman-esque uh, uh, sound to it I, I think sort of Fiddler on the Roof the cartoon version <laughs> That was fun. Um, I'm, I'm actually not a, a big fan of of these short arco strings in in lieu of, of pizzicato strings. Mm-hmm. I just I'm not really crazy about the sound. But for variety and when you're trying to to deliver a lot of instrumental cues, it's just something different. But I, you know what? They get used, so I'm not yeah. going to complain. Uh, okay, the next section is a category called goofy. Um, Perfect for this show. We should make it our theme song. That's our themes. Um, so th- here you're going to get a lot more major keys. And I, I tend to use um, more of a Lydian mode as, as opposed to just a major scale. So where you have a, a raised fourth. Okay. So in the key of C would be C, D, E, F sharp. Hmm. 
G. Take a listen. A little more expressive. Yeah. of your stuff is almost too classy for reality TV shows. <laughs> it is. It's just the quality is amazing. Okay. And the next piece is basically a, a polka, but with the bass playing that flat five instead of, you know, the C, the G. This is called Hard at Work. Yeah, I was going to say, counter, I didn't even know the title. And it connotates busy at work. Yeah. Absolutely. It's Santa's workshop. Maybe if you throw a tubular bell or a sleigh bell in. <laughs> now here you can hear that sloppy pizzicato. And that's those symphobia strings. So I call them the flourishes. Flourish. So it's just a run, a, a chromatic or a, a, a scale run. And sometimes you do it up and then back down again. Yeah, up and down. John Williams does that all the time. Steal from the best, my yeah, friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I had a symphobia once. I went to the hospital. They did a symphobia. Activity. Did they? Okay. Oh, never came back. <laughs> Uh, this is slow moving target, so it's it's very sparse melody, uh, very low woodwinds um, uh, for the melody, answered by uh, clarinet, and the B section goes into a double time feel, but using the same progression. So see. If you by can. the way, if I can insert a thought, which I'm mm -hmm. surprised that I haven't said sooner in the episode. Notice how many of these have sounds that are in common, especially when you're in one variety, like goofy or. or shout bode. <laughs> um, just saying from a productivity standpoint, uh, back me up on this if I'm not barking up a wrong tree, that you log the sounds that work. And, and even if you work, let's say, on a Tuesday evening, because he doesn't do this full time, he actually, you know, d develops code and stuff. But 
If you were to do one of these on Tuesday evening and you really like the textures and the sounds that you used, you could take those same sounds, that same template, and use it on Wednesday evening to come up with a completely different scene, emotion, all that stuff, right? Yeah, well, because I do have a dramedy template. So okay. it, uses, it has all the sounds already that I use 80% of the time. And then I'll bring in that occasional other instrument just to, to change it up some. Right, which would be probably somewhat dictated by the mood or the type mm -hmm. of scene you're hearing. In your exactly. Head. Cool. Yeah. All right, what you got? Uh, oh, so this is the uh, the slow moving target. <laughs> Drunk. Drunk Elmer Fudd. just double time. counter melodies low instrument is the melody clarinet counter melody doing a bluesy then, almost like summertime thing yeah and then the mallets playing a, another counter melody so that, that was fun I enjoy those kind of pieces not that they very often use the A and B sections together but the the A section is great for a uh, husband coming home drunk out later and drinking with the boys than the wife would like, but her boyfriend is at the house. So when it gets to the B section, she's trying to stash the boyfriend. That's all the scurrying around. Exactly. I'll uh, call Hollywood and tell him how to use that one. Please. Um, this next piece, Slapstick, um, I, I simply wanted to use an odd meter. So um, the main section is primarily in 5-8, and then it goes into a 4-4. Four four. So see if you can tell the difference.
bold move using 5A. I mean, it's something you very rarely hear. What made you wake up that day and go, I think I'll do a cue. Uh, you know, when, when you have to write a lot of cues, you just need to keep it interesting for you. So why not? Let's do it in, you know, yeah. a weird key or just an odd meter. Um, no other reason. It's actually a better approach than using an oddball instrument that's going to be like sound out of character for the genre. Yeah, and since it's an odd meter, it, it's kind of a like kind of a drunky kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you really can't keep your balance with it. So uh, you can find uses in that way rather than the slow one we did the the, the piece before, where it was mm -hmm. you know lumbering. Um, this this final piece in the in the goofy section is called Man of the House, and it was meant to represent uh, a masculine side and uh, so it uses a lot of low end and and it, I use a um, harmonically I use a symmetrical chord movement so I'm I'm using chords that they go up in minor thirds and it just cycles through I try to use different percussion instruments when I can. pregnant pause rather than coming back in on the obvious one exactly a added a little bit of tension by uh wait for it yep yeah yeah <laughs> that's so cool anytime you can you can put in those kinds of silences without making it sound like i'm putting in a silence mm -hmm. just obvious edit points really helpful for the editor good job on that one um okay so we have half an hour left so i might skip this next section because it's just i just call it neutral and it's just like sort of generic uh, dramedy stuff so we could we can kind of skip over that one um, can we go to desperate elves yes let's go to the, some some of the fast stuff so I'm only gonna play a, a two pieces out of here okay uh, the first one is desperate elves <laughs> Incredibly cinematic and wonderful. Really, really good. Thank you.
And you may have noticed I, I use tend to use bongos a lot. Mm-hmm. I just love bongos, and they're they're just fun. And uh, you know, I, I do that for me. So nobody said, Steve, we need more bongos. I, it's something that you do here in many forms of dramedy. So, um, but more on the orchestral. You know, I mean, th- this is grown up dramedy. This really is sophisticated. It's not the I can lay down four instruments a half an hour and create a dramedy cue. Mm-hmm. Your stuff is at another level, which is why I wanted to do the show with him. Yeah, just to show you where the, the A-plus stuff, you know, where that lives and what it sounds like. Um, and I guess I want you to understand that I can't think of any composers in Hollywood that would hear this and not go, wow, this is really, really good dramedy. There are people who are very successful doing, you know, um, Assembly line dramedy um, that would probably go much faster. I'm guessing you would spend a few hours on each one of these. Where I know guys that could probably crank one out in 90 minutes to two hours max. I I got to a point where I I was cranking these out from writing to inputting to mixing, you know, finalizing in between three and four hours. Pretty good, especially considering the quality of the stuff. I mean, little details that might fly by people, like the, the quality of the reverb, the choice of the reverb. Um, adding instruments that might not have occurred to other people. Anyway, well, I really, don't want to do straight just just symphonic instruments. Like I yeah. like the bongos because it reminds me of like the '60s kind of bachelor pad style mm-hmm. of uh, jazz. You know, like, yeah. like Mancini was a master at that, where he mixed strings and like a, a jazz band with bongos and a, a lush string orchestra. Right. You know. Um, Pink Panther movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so one more for, of the fast nature. This one's called Busy Bee. <laughs> so good that if you put it in a reality show, the cues that come before it or after it would sound like crap. <laughs> I mean, it would make them sound bad by comparison, I'm afraid to say. Well, that was my flight of the bumblebee. <laughs> so, okay, so let's let's uh, move on to, um, let's talk about urban dramedy. Okay. So, dramedy's evolved into contemporary styles. So, um, urban dramedy, in essence, is all the same stuff we've heard, but adding some hip-hop beats and some hip-hop instruments behind it. So I'm going to play a couple pieces. These are not mine. The first one is uh, from Chuck Henry. Who's been on the show several times. You'll see him at the Road Rally. Great guy. Uh, this is called Jiggly Wiggly. <laughs> Thank you. 
listeners are going to love this episode of Jackson TV. Mm. I'm going to be getting an email when the show's over about a mile long. <laughs> Okay, so it's a pizzicato melody in octaves. He joins it with uh, marimba and then glockenspiel accents. And it almost has a Latin feel to it. The second piece is called Cunning Chameleon, and this is by Matt Vanderbilt, and you're going to... I am. Next gonna, week, I am going to beautiful, flying into Boise, Idaho, and going to Matt's studio, which is in a 10 by 12 tool shed in his backyard. We're going to do Taxi TV live from the tool shed, I'm going out to dinner, and I fly home again the next morning. So a quick trip to Idaho for you guys. <laughs> so this piece uh, has a pizzicato melody with low marimba bass accents. And there are some low EDM bass horns accenting. Hmm. And mix-wise, the percussion, the drums are, are very upfront. The bass and kick. I mean, yeah, boom. Here's those horns. That was fun. Yeah, I like those a lot. And I, I haven't done any urban dramedy at all. Because there's so many guys that do it really well. Yeah. Didn't used to be. No? I, I, no. Um, I remember probably like five years ago, we never got requests for urban dramedy. Mm -hmm. And I remember when our guys, you know, probably Chuck Henry and Matt Vanderbilt started making it, um, that library owners were like, 
wow, this stuff's really cool. You know, mm -hmm. they really liked it. So I think that those guys uh, really moved that subgenre forward just by. And you're going to see a lot of it on shows like the Kardashians. You know, with the yeah. the, the hip uh, style shows for sure. Um, gosh, I just had something I wanted to say about. Oh, and if you think that you need like a super expensive fancy studio to do that, I'm telling you, you're gonna laugh. When you see Vanderbilt's studio, he's got like a five-year-old um, iMac um, with not a lot of RAM in it. I think a two-octave keyboard, a $200 microphone, um, three, four, five hundred dollar monitors, no acoustic treatment to speak of in his little 10 by 12 box. Uh, it's just. It's all about knowing how to use what you've got really well. It's not about, I'm gonna go out and spend a ton of money building a studio, or I'm gonna spend a ton of money on samples like some people I know. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but you don't have to. Learn how to use what you've got really well until the day you've truly outgrown it and then upgrade. Because by if you can pull that off, you'll be making enough money to pay for the upgrade. I just don't want people to listen to this stuff and go, oh, I can't do this because I don't have that much studio under my belt. You do have enough studio. If your stuff is was purchased recently and go online and watch tutorials, learn how to use it really well for the articulations, um, yeah. you can do it. That's just it. Learn, learn how to use the tools properly. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Don't, you don't have to spend a lot of money on it. Okay, so switching gears a little bit because I know we're kind of running short on time here. Um, I 17 wanted, minutes. I 18. wanted to, to cover, um, so most of the dramedy we've heard is, you know, like in the s sneaky suspense tension mm -hmm. kind of genre or, you know, goofy stuff. Um, but you can also, like I mentioned earlier, you can use almost, play almost any style. And so here's uh, a couple of sentimental kind of cues. <laughs> Vibraphone is the main melody instrument with a string pad in the background. Now the pizzicato strings come in with a backbeat. is called sadness and joy and I would never write a piece like this now because it starts off with one emotion and then shifts to a different emotion. I saw that totally title. different emotion. <laughs> I saw the title and went how's that gonna work so I'm and curious. but this piece has been used a lot interesting because I did they ever use both sides of the emotional spectrum or did they, they use, use the one entire the, piece really because they I think what they did is they they done it where they edit it edit the, the scene to fit 
this. Wow. So it's really interesting. Which doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. We don't want to mislead our viewers. Absolutely. (laughs) It's rare that they're going to cut the show around a piece of music. Exactly. And, you know, there's always an exception, and and maybe this is just a fluke, but I just want to present it. Okay. For that reason. Next is, um, I just sort of categorized it as, as film score. So it's not, doesn't really sound dramedy, but it's using the same, again, the same color palette. Okay. And, and this is some other things that you can do with it. Start of a new day. Yeah. another day um, the B section is is the piece that gets used a lot and it's very rom-commy I, I know that first of all let me tell my rom- rom-com romantic comedy and um, B section Okay, and lastly, the uh, this will be the last key we'll do. Um, 
at the casino. So this is a jazzy, this is a Henry Mancini kind of jazz piece, alto flute, bongos, lush strings, tremolo marimba. <laughs> Somebody asked uh, in the chat room if key changes, um, who, that they've heard a lot of them on tonight's show, and do they help or hurt? I once specifically asked that question of another composer friend of mine, and he said, you know, I don't know most, that most editors would actually consciously think about the key change, but what it does is keeps them interested in listening to the cue. And the longer they listen, the, more, the greater the mm -hmm. chances are that they'll use it. How do you feel about key? Obviously, you feel good about key changes because you've used a lot of them. Well, I mean, I use key changes as part of a, a technique in composition that it keeps the melody interesting. Mm -hmm. Because if it's the same thing over, if right. you're just looping a four-bar chord progression, right. it's going to get very boring. Yep. Uh, the only thing about about key changes that you have to key changes that you have to worry about is that the song ends on the same key that it begins in. Mm -hmm. So when they Ed, the editor cuts, takes the stinger, right, and they're going to match it up with somewhere in the middle of the piece. It it needs to be in the same key. But yeah, I I, uh, uh, I modulate uh, frequently um, within within sections, and I typically go up a minor third and come back because minor third sounds uh, cinematic. When you say you do it frequently, you don't mean you do it frequently within a piece so much as you use the technique often. I use the technique often, yeah. Okay, because I, I don't want people to get the wrong idea and go sit down tonight and write a piece that modulates five times as it goes on. <laughs> I don't know if you'd have enough keyboard left on the right-hand <laughs> side to do that. Um, do you have some questions, Ariana? Uh, I saw you writing before. Any questions over there? I'm just taking notes. Okay, got it. Um, so... Uh, the book will be here. Oh, Doug Hanks uh, says, great episode. Thanks, Michael and Steve. The book will be here tomorrow. Yay. I love Amazon for that. Um, so we've got like uh, eight minutes. You guys want to do a little Q&A with Steve-O? Let's see. Do I play a melody, divide it up, and assign it to different instruments separate from this? Um, I just try to keep things interesting whenever I write. Uh, repeat the question in full so that... Okay, Steve, that. do you play a melody and then divide it up and assign to different instruments, or are they separate from the start? Um, 
Yeah, so I will sit down and and essentially like a piano, play a left hand chord progression and then play a melody above it, and and then I'll I'll often I'll uh, when I record it I'll record it with one instrument playing the the entire melody, and then I'll I'll re-record the melody with a, a different instrument. It might be the same octave, it might be an octave lower, or an octave higher. And then I'll do a lot of editing. I'll say, oh, the first four bars should be this instrument, the second four bars should be that instrument. Do you do the editing as a science project or by gut? Oh, totally by gut. Okay. Yeah, so you're just, listing yourself as a consumer at that point and yeah. going, all what, right, it feels like I've had enough of that. What moves me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can try to do it just by grocery list. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but right. it's not organic that way. Um, Let's see, key change. What library do you use for your bass brass? Bass brass. Um, I've been primarily using uh, CineSample Cinebrass, both the core and pro. Uh, do you study orchestration? Constantly. I've been studying it for 40 years. It, it so shows. I mean, I've heard a lot of really good dramedy come from other members, you know, the members have been around for a long while and they're making great money and they get a lot of placements and stuff, but yours definitely has um, a sophistication to it that you can only get, you know, by really understanding orchestration. Well, and, I, and I mentioned this in the last episode when I was on that, you know, you can read these orchestration books and try to understand it, but I also recommend taking other scores, written scores, whether they're classical scores like Tchaikovsky or Beethoven, or modern film scores like something from John Williams, and actually inputting those into your computer. And mm. it re it's very revealing. It reveals orchestration techniques because you can isolate different sections. You can hear all the brass notes and how, they're, how they work. And then how, how do they work with the woodwinds? And so it's, it gives you a lot of insight, not only how the composer works, but just what sounds good together. Is it a Tchaikovsky piece that's the United Airlines um, theme or branded piece? Dun, 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 uh, no, it's Gershwin. Ah. Um, that piece is so good. Rhapsody in Blue. Right. So good at conveying emotion. It, oh, I, yeah. I just I love that piece. Yeah. And Even listen, before United used it. Yeah. And, and the piano ver solo piano version versus the orchestral version. I don't know that I've ever heard the solo piano. Oh, fantastic. But, really? But they, they, they just generate different emotions. Yeah, so really check them out. Making a note. Rhapsody <laughs> in blue piano only. We'll listen to that tonight. Um, by the way, uh, the Taxi Road Rally, our convention, is coming up November 7th through the 10th. You've got to be a member. But uh, if you are a member, you get two free tickets. I want to let you know that at three months out from the event, we already had a thousand registrants. So jump on it. Um, this is the level of information we give out at the Road Rally every year. We have about 15 or more panels in the Grand Ballroom. We have 75 to 90 classes that are at this kind of level of expertise. If you really truly want to make it in the music industry uh, and you want to take the crash course not that there's shortcuts but if you you can wait for years to gather this information or you can come to the road rally and choose your courses and classes wisely and get this level of stuff all in one weekend just be prepared to write a lot of notes 
Um, okay, one more question. We got to, actually time for a few more questions. Yes, members can bring a guest. Uh, Peter Rahill's going to do stand-up comedy this year for us. Oh, Jesse asked, I hope he's asking me, do you play real live music? Um, not anymore. <laughs> and the funny thing is, <laughs> his first instrument is guitar, right? Yeah, I'm a guitarist by yeah. trade, yeah. Well, it's And I almost never play guitar anymore. Well, you don't need to. <laughs> I'm so good at this stuff. Dear God. Um, any other questions? Ray Hill says, no stand-up. Okay, then do it sitting down, damn it. <laughs> I'm too short, he says. <laughs> yeah, I always suggest working with live musicians because the dead ones can't keep a beat. Mojo says it's a six-month music concentration crammed into a weekend. Yeah, true. That's about it. What's a good reference book for orchestration? No. Um, say it again. What's a good reference book for orchestration? Oh, what's a good reference book for orchestration? Oh, uh, a lot of people like the Adler book. Um, uh, uh, this, this, uh, Kent Cannon is, is the book that I've, I've used for years. Um, I think it's still in print. Um, well, before and on one of the previous episodes, you mentioned playing stuff back into your computer to see how it breaks down. What software do you use for that? Just my DAW. Really? Uh, so, so, in other words, instead of me composing this music, I'm right. taking the notes from the paper and manually. Oh, inputting them. Inputting them. Okay. Yeah, it's very no, time consuming. Is there's no software that will take a piece and do kind of a reverse analysis for you? Uh, I think there's software that will actually read paper scores okay. and translate it into MIDI notes. I don't know how good it is, but that, that could save you some time. But you still need to spend the time working the articulations and getting the, you know, get the notes to breathe. And I would imagine that you're absorbing the whole time you're laying that stuff in, too. Well, you should, because you should be learning how do I, you know, learning about uh, continuous controller data in MIDI, you know, CC1 and CC11, those are uh, modulation and expression, and those are the two key controllers that you use for MIDI data to make it sound like a real instrument. Um, there's a controller that I featured uh, in the Taxi Newsletter, excuse me, a month or two ago. I can't remember the name of it now, but it looks to be about this big, uh, and it has a thing that almost looks like a little pad on top of it that's on a toggle. And uh, I've, I've read reviews of people swear by it. I can't remember the name of it, but it might be in the cool stuff section of the current newsletter. Mm -hmm. Check it out because people say that they've been, you know, this is the controller I've been waiting for my whole life. Anything that makes that control more intuitive, I think is a good thing. Yeah, if, if you don't have, uh, like my MIDI keyboard, I have a, um uh, an M-Audio uh, key station that's got a gazillion knobs and, and buttons on it um, that I can program in all my, my controller data. Some some MIDI keyboards don't have a lot of programmable buttons, um, but you can buy, you know, uh, external uh, controllers that you can assign uh, the, the controllers that you need, you know. Uh, um, somebody asked which notation software you use, if any. I, I don't use notation software. And I've tried using Sibelius, and it just it just takes me too long. And I, I'm not writing for live musicians, so I don't really have a need to to create right. paper scores. 
Uh, and somebody else asked um, that you mentioned that you've done cues using your resonator, um, the, the brand name uh, Dobro mm -hmm. um, cues. Are those still in demand? Clearly, um, when Duck Dynasty and shows like that were out there, there, were, there was a ton of demand. Mm -hmm. um, we don't see a lot of requests for that stuff right yeah, now. I'm because not I, either. Yeah. I think everybody built up their, their catalogs with mm -hmm. it during the Duck Dynasty years, so they've got plenty of it. And there aren't a lot of like Duck Dynasty-like shows right now. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't keep you from creating that kind of music because someday it'll come back around. It'll be a, a hip thing. You just need one show that's as big right. as Duck Dynasty was. And then you'll be a hero because yeah. you've got it. Yeah. Um, okay, we're at 5.30. Steve, uh, one last question here. Steve, besides Tchaikovsky, who else would you do score study for dramedy? Well, I wouldn't <laughs> consider Tchaikovsky uh, a dramedy composer. Uh, I just referenced him uh, to to so um, that one particular movement where it features all pizzicato strings, so you just get a, 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 a good idea of what real pizzicato sounds like. But in terms of uh, dramedy, just watch TV. Watch the shows and see what people are doing. And you will probably hear a lot more urban dramedy than you will the other kind of dramedy that you know, we kind of mostly heard today. Yeah. But, you know, it's all, it's really, it's just, and I don't want to say just, just putting a hip-hop drum beat behind it because there's a little bit of hip-hop um, gravitas that you have to, you know... Right, you have to understand the hip-hop genre in order to lay that in right with the drum. Exactly, but the composing part of it, uh, you know, you're composing, whether you're writing a polka or you're writing dramedy or you're writing whatever, it's the same concept, but just understanding the color palette and then add the hip-hop elements to it. I think we need urban polka. It could be around the corner. <laughs> I've just invented a new genre. <laughs> Once again, I want to plug this book. There we go. Um, I can't say enough good stuff about it, and many of our members who have it love it. It's got really high reviews on Amazon. Writing Production Music for TV by Steve Barden. And with that, Steve, thank you for coming back out here thank once you, again to do this show, man. What I mean, literally... Everything that these guys need to know about dramedy, I think they learned today. We really covered a lot. I hope so. Yeah. And again, you know, mine is not the only way to do it, but I hope this inspires you to utilize the tools that you have and, and find your own voice with the Find mission. your voice, exactly. Yeah. Well said. Great. Uh, and next week, don't forget, I am flying to beautiful Boise, Idaho, flying up Monday morning. Uh, and doing a show live from uh, Camp Vanderbilt <laughs> in his tool shed <laughs> with the air conditioner that we'll have to turn off, uh, you know, like cool it down, turn it off, do a segment, cool it down, turn it off. Anyway, that's going to be fun. I hope it's a nice, cool day in Idaho. With that, I bid you fond farewell. Till next week from Taxi World Headquarters. See you next week for another episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye, you guys. <laughs>